When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The one thing I've always said and the one thing I've said to my wife over all these years, and I said it then, I say it now, I'm only as good as my next idea. And to this day, I still worry about that. Like, am I delivering on my promises to provide good content, good education, a good community vibe? Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler. And I'm your other host, June Thomas. June, now that the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is <laughs> over, have you finally gotten any sleep? Are you still hungover? What's what's going on over there? I'm a very clean living girl. I, I, I would disappoint you in every direction. So yeah, it's I'm getting my eight, nine every day. It's great. Incredible. And who did you talk to today? Isaac, this week I spoke with Brad Dowdy, who is known to those of us in the stationary fandom as the pen addict. Wait, 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 wait. Let me just stop you right there. Mm. This guy makes his living reviewing pens? Well, Isaac, as an improv comedian might say, yes, and. Brad does indeed review pens on his blog, and he's been doing that for more than 15 years. But he also has a weekly podcast and a thrice-weekly Twitch stream. And he's involved in designing and manufacturing pens, pencils, and other stationary products. And... So as a fellow pen addict, I know Brad and I'm a big fan of his work, but I mostly wanted to talk to him because to me, he is a great representative of a new kind of independent creator. You know, in journalism, we have this established model of freelancing. And in the last few years, a new kind of content creator has blossomed thanks to the Internet. They might be YouTubers or Twitch streamers. Many create classes or run cohort based learning experiences. Brad feels to me like a really great example of someone who has stayed true to his intention, which is ultimately helping people find their next favorite pen. But he's also ultimately someone who makes his living from sharing about things he's into. And speaking of sharing, uh, Mm. for our Slate Plus listeners, will you be sharing a little something extra this week? I sure will, Isaac. A couple of times in the interview, we talked about pen shows, and it struck me that people who've never stepped into that particular Shangri-La might not know what they're like. So I asked Brad to describe the pen show phenomenon, and I also asked him about some of the trends in the fountain pen market, that many of which reveal themselves at pen shows. June, that sounds like the jewel-encrusted limited edition fountain pen of the podcasting (laughs) universe. And if you are already a Slate Plus subscriber, that will be waiting for you at the end of this week's episode. If you're not already a Slate Plus subscriber, though, you could get that and so much more. We're talking bonus segments on shows like this one, bonus full episodes of shows like Big Mood, Little Mood, and Decoder Ring. We're talking full access behind the paywall at the Mothership site of Slate. We're talking getting to feel virtuous for supporting (laughs) everything we do right here on working go to slate.com slash working plus to sign up today all right 
Now let's listen in on June's conversation with Brad Dowdy, a.k.a. The Pen Addict. Brad Dowdy, The Pen Addict, welcome to working. Thank you for having me. This is unbelievable. It's great to talk to you. So the first thing I would like you to do is list all the things that you do. What are the elements that fall <laughs> under the pen addict portfolio? I don't think I've ever been presented with it that way. So I write a blog called The Pen Addict. So I basically do pen reviews. That was the impetus for this whole, uh, the, the pen addict empire, if you will, um, which is <laughs> not really uh, an empire. But so I, I have a blog where I write reviews. So myself and a few other people, we write reviews every week. Um, I've been doing that since 2007. I started a podcast with my podcast partner, Mike Hurley, the Pen Attic Podcast. That began in 2012. Shortly thereafter, I started a pen case company called Notco, um, which is no longer in its original form, but uh, the name is still out there and the brand's still out there. I stream on Twitch, so I've been streaming on Twitch about stationary, like all of these things are stationary related, pen related, (laughs) paper, everything related to that. Uh, I've been doing that for about six years almost, I think, and... I'm part of a pen company uh, called Spoke Design, where we design, manufacture, assemble, and ship uh, different types of pens and pencils. Did I cover it? I mean, I so have, the only yeah. thing I think I had on my list that you didn't mention was the membership. So there's also like the membership of the pen addict, right? Yeah, that's quite an important thing, to be honest. And I'm glad you said that because I think of the pen addict blog as just kind of all this encompassing thing. But the pen addict membership is actually what allowed me to leave my job to do this full time. Like none of these individual things would be enough for me to do this for a living. But all of these things together, yeah, I've been able to make it work. Yeah. And I have to say, Brad, that you know, and, and I should also disclose that you and I know each other. Uh, <laughs> I am a member of the Pen Addict. I'm a regular reader. I've been listening to the podcast for a decade, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say probably a decade would be my guess. Yeah, We've known each other. I, you know. I regularly tune in to the Twitch stream. So one of the things I'm curious about is how you keep track of all the things that you do. You know, how do you know what you'll be working on on any given day? So in listening to working, you know, quite frequently, I've heard you and Isaac uh, talk about different types of scheduling and calendaring. <laughs> and it seemed to me that you had a, a have a certain um, derision for block scheduling. I don't know if I have oh, that no. right. <laughs> uh, Isaac, may I certainly do not. <laughs> so I set my week up essentially as block scheduling. Like I know you talk a lot about productivity and things Mm -hmm. like that here. And I'm not like a big productivity guru or anything like that. That's not my thing at all. But I basically, over the years, I figured out what works for me. And what works for me having to juggle like all the different jobs I have that make up my one job is having a reasonably fixed schedule throughout the week. And that's really through a seven-day week. I'm not saying I work seven days, but I use all days of the week to accomplish certain tasks and certain goals so that I have a picture going into the week, what needs to be done, what pins need to be reviewed, what articles need to be published, um, what, you know, is the podcast on its regular schedule or do we have to adjust the schedule, you know, because we have different things going on, you know, and then 
I use the times around the fixed times that are the absolutely mandatory stuff that I have to get done to fill in, oh, I need to work on the reviews from three weeks from now, right? So I have this time to write articles, um, to brainstorm the next projects that I'm working on. Like all the project time kind of fits itself in between the blocks throughout the day. So that's kind of how I manage my week in in a general sense. Yeah. Well, it's really striking to me how, I guess I keep talking about it as a portfolio, which feels appropriate, like all of the different components of your world. It feels like it's it makes a, a kind of a good whole because you have like, you're reviewing. Okay, that's the blog. You kind of keeping up with the news. That's the podcast and the Twitch streams. You get to kind of scratch your creativity itch with Spoke, which is your pen design company with, with all those things. Um but what came first? You mentioned that you you started a blog, but when you started it, did you have any sense at all that this was going to be something, A, that you'd be doing however many years later, but that it might, you know, become your entire kind of creative <laughs> life in a way? Yeah, yeah, not at all. Like, I never set out to to do this. And... You know, the blog started in 2007, and at the time, I'm I'm an IT guy, right? I was yeah. uh, I had a really solid IT job. I was with the same company, what ended up being for 15 years total. So I was wow. in the midst of that, and I've always had a passion for stationery ever since I was a kid. Like I mm-hmm. always cared about what I wrote with or what I wrote on, and my impetus was. I wanted products that allowed me to write small, right? I have a, <laughs> I have a particular handwriting that's can be tiny and it's a block print style. Like I'm not a cursive writer. I'm not going to be on Instagram writing calligraphy for anybody, but I have a very clean, like almost architectural style handwriting yeah. and growing up, you know, going to high school in the eighties and college in the nineties, you are very limited in access. And like, I wanted those things back then. Like I remember trying to find those things back then and you, you couldn't find that stuff. Um, most people who might listen to this are familiar. If they're not familiar with pens at all, you've probably used like a 0.7 millimeter gel ink pen or a 1.0 millimeter ballpoint pen. Those are the tip sizes. And that's puts a fine line down on the page. Well, I'm looking for something like half of that, right? <laughs> much, much more narrow. And it's not a common thing. Companies don't like to make those things. So I went on the internet and searched for it and I couldn't find much information. And like a lot of creatives, I'm sure you've talked to uh, over the years, when you can't find the thing that you want, you make the thing that you want, right? So what I wanted was more information on the pins that I wanted to buy and I couldn't find it. And at the time, these pins were things I'm having to import from Japan and ordering from, you know, tricky eBay stores and things like that. But I'm I'm getting what I want. But I wanted to find more information. And I was very internet savvy, obviously, being in IT. So all I did was get a notebook and literally write down my thoughts on the page, handwritten, what I thought about this pen, took a picture of that and posted it on my blog. Like those were my first posts were literally just a handwritten image. And then I would type up saying, hey, here's this pen. And, you know, I thought it was pretty good. And here's the details. <laughs> well, and that that escalated. <laughs> you could say that escalated. Sure did. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, from your starting and, you know, writing in what it was a moleskin top bound notebook, the, right? the reporter. So the, just yeah. the, the top just flipped up so you could hold it in your hand. Yeah. So from there, we fast forward to how many years ago when you became, when you went full time as a creative person? 
So it was January 1st, 2016. So I guess we're seven years on now, seven and a half years. So what happened was, like I said, the the intent was the blog for the blog was to never, you know, make a living from that. That wasn't even like a thought process at the time. It was just something fun to do as a hobby. And I started, you know, the online community around stationary started to grow. We started to have some shops that were doing neat things um, in in the space and importing the things that I wanted and making it easier for me to access and curating stuff that I could just go get. And, you know, I'd end up making relationships with different companies and have then I would end up getting advertising relationships with different companies. And then I would have pin shows out around the U.S. where someone would, you know, pay for my travel to come to the show and work for them. Like it was kind of, you know, I got, you know, like more exposure, you know? Yeah. You're, um, you're an influencer, Brad. I mean, yeah. it's funny that we kind of, we, we joke about that, but you really are. I mean, yeah. one of, yeah. one of your roles that we didn't talk about at the top was you really are a kind of an educator, a hype guy, a yeah. consultant and like a connector of people and, and you make connections. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do. Like in the, in the end, like not to like jump all the way to the end. Like my favorite part <laughs> of what I do is like sharing with people, educating, communicating, talking, all of that stuff that, you know, there's stuff that pays the bills and then there's yeah. stuff that like, I just want to, I want to help someone find their next favorite pen. Right. Like it's yeah. as simple as that. But, you know, I started getting opportunities to travel, started getting opportunities to produce products, And it eventually got to a point where I was making some money, right? And I had my day job. I was making some money. And, you know, I'm just for context, I'm married. Uh, I have two kids. Uh, My wife has, you know, a stable job with insurance. So I'm definitely fortunate to, Mm -hmm. you know, be allowed to take a risk. Like I wouldn't be in this situation um, without my wife. So I got to the point where I was making half of what I made, in my IT job mm. and just doing this like on the side. I mean, it was a lot of work because I was yeah, right. You were travel- doing two jobs. I was doing two jobs essentially at the time. Yeah. So it was a huge pay cut when I left, but you know, we decided that, you know, the quality of life, the time with the family, all of those yeah. things yeah. would be important. And then I could actually work on these other things with the pen addict and continue to try to grow them. Yeah. I have never, made as much again as when I left my IT job. Like I've never mm-hmm. made that hundred percent worth of salary, yeah. but I've yeah. done really good. Like I have yeah. a solid yeah. base. It grows slowly and I have reaped all the benefits of working for myself, making my own schedule, doing something I love. So yeah, there's all those benefits way outweigh any dollar amount. So when you left your day job and you became full-time pen addict, What were your concerns? What were you worried about? Because, you know, yeah, you mentioned money, you mentioned, you know, that, but I think probably that wasn't the big thing, right? Absolutely not. No. Am I good enough? (laughs) You know, totally the imposter syndrome. Will people be interested in what I have to say? And be willing to pay a small amount of money for that and to be, you know, to get that support from people when you're asking them directly for money, right? It's just me. And the one thing I've always said, and the one thing I've said to my wife over all these years, and I say it, said it then, I say it now, I'm only as good as my next idea. And to this day, I still worry about that. Like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing Mm -hmm. right by my members, right? Or is someone spending $5 a month? Are they getting their value, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. 
that I'm delivering on my promises to provide good content, a good time, right? Like fun (laughs) is very important to me, good education and just like a good community vibe. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think, I guess it was Kevin Kelly who came up with that idea of, you know, the thousand true fans, that that's actually the way that as an individual, you can, um, you can make it, you know, you can get to do your thing. Yes. And and I think of you as being just an absolute prime example of that. Like people want to support it, you. They're interested in, you know, yes. yeah. Yeah, that is definitely, back when I was making my decision, that is definitely a thought I had in my head. Kevin's, you know, thousand true fans idea. Because I'm also very, I guess, honest with myself, knowing that I'm not in a business that I'm ever going to have 10,000 true fans, right? This is not a blow up to the moon type of situation, but this is a very stable, high quality, great group of people. And if I can get that and just be a good steward for those people, like everything else is golden. We'll be back with more from June's conversation with Brad Dowdy after this. Hey listeners, Isaac Butler here. I just wanted to say if you're enjoying this episode and you're thinking, hmm, what if I never wanted to miss an episode of Working? Well, guess what? You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you already subscribe and you're thinking, hmm, what can I do to help these wonderful people find new listeners? Well, you can rate our show. You can review our show. You can give it five stars on the Apple app. You can check that little star on uh, Overcast if that's your app of choice. And that really does help us spread the word. Thank you so much in advance. Now back to June's conversation with Brad Dowdy. You mentioned earlier that you used to have a pen case company, I guess is a way yeah. of describing mm-hmm. not go. Yeah. Yes. And you kind kind of, you said this exists in a certain way, but you kind of sunset the company, wrapped up the company. Mm-hmm. And that feels really important to me because I think one of the hardest things when you are being a freelancer or however you want to describe that is wrapping something up. You know, you can't just keep adding things. But it's really hard to to let go of something. So can you talk about how you how you decided to kind of bring that particular part of your portfolio to a close? One of the needs I wanted to fill as someone newer in the industry was the carrying aspect of pens. We all mm-hmm. like our pens. And <laughs> traditionally, you know, fountain pens were seen as an old stodgy type of thing. And therefore they kind of had old stodgy accessories. Well, as the pen started to advance to bring in a, like a much uh, more creative demographic, those type of people like myself were looking for different things to carry their stuff in. So what we did is we made essentially made, if you think about it, if you don't know anything about pens, you think of it as a little backpack for your pens, right? Yeah, we made like exactly. Cordura nylon with zippers and fun colors, like yes. carrying cases for your pens. So yes. it's one of the most proudest accomplishments I've ever made starting that company, running that company, and honestly closing down that company. I'm proud of how it ended um, in a reasonably positive manner. So the mistakes I made along the way were not ending it soon enough, mm, right? Mm. Being stubborn 
knowing the writings on the wall, but not wanting to read the book, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like it's there, it's right in front of me, but it's like, ah, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to make it work. Well, at some point you just don't have enough time or money to make it work. So the thing I'm most proud about is that when I finally turned everything off, we had zero debt. Like I didn't owe anybody or anything a dollar. And that's the sign of, it was a good company. Like we didn't make it as far as like, hey, we're continuing to exist, but we did something cool that people liked. And in the end, like I think I made some mistakes in like, yeah, trying to figure out inventory is hard, right? Like trying to manage production is hard. So when it's just myself and one partner, uh, my partner, Jeff, who I I love to death and is one of the great designers I've ever worked with, it it just got to be too much and it was just time to to shut it Mm -hmm. down. But I'm happy with the way it, it closed down. And then, you know, I've still been able to keep the name alive because we came up with some really great designs at the time and I want to see them live on. So I've been able to work with some other companies to keep, uh, keep some of the uh, collaborative uh, efforts alive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just remember going to the DC Penn show, the super show one time super when you show. were there with Notco and mm-hmm. you were just, I mean, you, your table, the Notco table was just mobbed and people wanted that stuff. And like, that's got to feel amazing to kind of get that response of, Oh my, we want this stuff. Yeah. When the show promoter yells at you because the crowd is too big and blocking the aisles, like that makes you feel pretty good. It's like, hey, yeah. I, I'm sorry, but like, I'm pretty happy, but like, yeah. you know, yeah. that's not my problem, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it feels good. It feels good. And to this day, like, it's only been a couple of years since Knock has wound down, but I, I get emails all the time. I wish yeah. I could buy this case or I wish I could yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, podcast. People are going to want to know how you and Mike Hurley of Relay mm-hmm. FM, mm-hmm. every week you guys record a podcast. The week that we're recording was episode 579, yep. so it's been going for a while. <laughs> the question that I'm guessing you get asked, because people ask me when I mention the pen addict, how do you find stuff to talk about every week? And are you really talking about pens? We're really talking about pens every week. Um <laughs> It's kind of become a joke that, you know, we'll drop in every now and then. Is this a podcast about pens? We really did a <laughs> podcast about pens for this long. I never run out of things to talk about. And when I started the podcast, when Mike actually had to twist my arm to make me do it. So ah. the podcast is, what did I say, 11 and a half years old. And Relay is only nine years old, his current podcast oh, network. Right. So right. I go, Mike and I go way, way yeah. back to like the pre-network podcast days. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing this for a long time. And initially when he finally twisted my arm, I was like, okay, I probably have about 10 episodes in me and we'll just go for it and do it. And I've never stopped talking about pens <laughs> since. Uh, it is unbelievable, the community around stationery in general and the feedback we get, the sharing, the communication that we get. So we've always found a way to have a great discussion. Sometimes it's just hey, these are the new products we find interesting, right? Um, sometimes it's me talking about reviews. Sometimes it's about how we use stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the struggles that people have with, hey, this is a, a, a commercial enterprise. You know, the pen yeah. industry yeah. is capitalistic, yeah. right? It's a stuff game. And mm-hmm. so people, you know, are spending their money and 
people will spend too much money. So we'll discuss like yeah. all yeah. the things yeah. that people, yeah. our listeners care about when yeah. deciding um, to talk about stationery. Some people, like I've gotten so much feedback. It's like, I don't even use pens or buy pens or go to this. I just like hearing you and Mike talk about yeah. this kind, kind yeah. of a silly topic if you like really yeah. boil it down. So we have fun doing it. Um, that's the most important thing is like, I say, I always say this, another, another one of my catchphrases is I can't not do this. Right. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I wasn't doing this, I would be still be doing the same thing. Right. With my yeah. pens. And yeah. now I just get to ask a lot more questions and think about the pens a lot more. Or think about stationary and how people use them um, and what's important uh, to me in, in this whole realm. So, as you said, maybe what, five years ago, you kind of added to your kind of career talking about pens with one other person by streaming on Twitch mm-hmm. currently usually three times a week so that to me like when people is like what do you talk about with another person about pens <laughs> like talking on Twitch where it's basically yeah you know you're talking to the chat yeah and it's um, live and it's live first of all how do you get into that like mindset wise how does a Twitch stream differ from a podcast recording are you aware also of needing to provide different content for those different platforms yeah so one of the things when we're talking about all the things i do one of the things i'm not is a youtuber so there is a really good video creation space in stationary because this is a very visual platform yeah Yeah. right and i started out writing like my platform was written and then imagery like with Instagram and the photography and the mm-hmm. blog posts and mm-hmm. things like that. And I've never been like a video creation guy, but I think video is super important for stationary for the reasons I started the blog in the first place. People want to see the product. How does it work? I can like disassemble something and show people. So I decided instead of making YouTube videos, I'm just going to go on Twitch, which I was already watching. Like, you know, I like watching video game content. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, I like sharing things and I like I like show and tell, right? This is yeah, a very show yeah. and tell subject. Yeah. yeah. Well, what better platform than if I can just turn it on live and we people can ask me questions and then I can answer them. Mm-hmm. And then it just I like everything else I've done, I go in with no real plan for like, hey, I'm going to do this and we're going to make it a career and like this is going to be a core <laughs> part of my portfolio. And yeah. it's like, you know what? Let's go see if people show up and want to ask, want to talk about pens. And they did. And then they kept going and they did more <laughs> and then they kept showing up. So like, you know, I'll get, you know, on an average day, 150 viewers, live viewers yeah, for like yeah. an hour or two. And we just literally talk about pens. I, you know, have the camera set up so I can do a lot of show and tell. I'll do some handwriting. Like Twitch has been great for like testing inks, right? People yeah. want to see yeah. ink is a huge part of our stationary business. So mm-hmm. people want to see, hey, what does this ink look like? Or I am in the fortunate position to get a lot of early access to things, right? Mm-hmm. So I can mm-hmm. share these things like the first look or the unboxing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would rather just do that on Twitch in a live platform. Yes, I save those videos off to YouTube, but right. I don't create content. Um, I, I haven't found that to be the, given everything else that I have, that's not the best yeah. use of my time yeah. to create video yeah. content. That's a lot of work. And I'm so impressed by all the stationary video creators out there because I look at that. I'm like, wow, that yeah. I know how long that took you to make yeah. that so uh, i yeah. tend to just uh go live and twitch has been a, a good platform for that so the breakdown of your income i'm not asking you to give mm-hmm. numbers but 
like, how does the percentages, do, do you have a sense of like pen addict membership, Twitch, podcast, blog? Like, why does it all break down more or less? So on my get to it eventually task list, I actually do <laughs> want to have and like not a dollar amount, but a percentage mm. chart. Mm. So if I could think about this real quick, um, let me do the bulk stuff first that comprise the most of it. So podcast advertising, blog advertising, and blog membership is probably well over 50% of my income, probably more up towards 60 to 70% of my income. Mm. So over 50% for like that core, say blog podcast, right? The original Mm -hmm. part of what I do and the blog means advertising and memberships and the podcast is advertising based, right? So I think those are probably, that's probably 50%. And then the rest of it is smatterings from 5% to uh, 10, 15% chunks that just all kind of add up, you know, between spoke and Twitch. I mean, Twitch is super small. Like I probably make five six hundred dollars a month from twitch a month but i do it more because it's, give away it's fun <laughs> ton of stuff oh, like yeah. there are giveaways I, in every single street twitch, like. twitch is definitely an l in the in the column but only in the dollar sense like not in yeah. the worthwhile sense in the fun yeah. sense and i do have to keep that in mind when i do these things because like it's just an important way to talk to people and share and like learn people are teaching me things right that's Mm -hmm. another great thing about this community is like everyone wants to help everyone else. And like, if I have a question about something, I guarantee if I don't know the answer, it would take me like 30 seconds to find someone who did. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's super cool that way. I think of you as being like a journalist, you know, a lot about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And then there's some people who know like everything there is to know about like Pelican pens, but you know, I I know the person to go ask the specific question. Yes. So, it's always interesting for me to notice the reaction when people realize you have interests beyond pens because pens and stationery is such a big part of your life and such an area of expertise. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, you also like pickleball? Wait, you also <laughs> are like a music head? Oh, you're uh-huh. really into sneakers or F1? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost as if like when you're super into one thing, you can't have other interests. Like that's my impression anyway. Is that something that does that really happen to you? So I, the way I think about it is like, I'm just me, right? Like (laughs) I represent myself as all of this. If you follow me, you get all of this. Like I don't have a curated Instagram feed. You're going to see my dog in there. You're going to see me (laughs) and my wife. Well, yeah, Yeah. you're going to see me and my wife winning a pickleball tournament, right? Like (laughs) I, and you're going to see me, you know, listening to some music and taking some screenshot of some like album cover that I think is cool looking or something like that. Like, and then when I write for members too, like I'll put personal content in that. Hey, this is the mm-hmm. book I'm reading or, yeah. you know, this is the vacation we went on and that's the cool things that I did. Like I definitely believe I, I'm not an oversharer, but uh-huh. I am also not a person that could go through my day in a business sense in a highly curated fashion that is completely focused on what my Instagram feed looks like. Mm -hmm. That is not me. And I learned that a long time ago. So like that will actually like break me down if I have to be like too specific or too rule based for what I can and can't talk about. Um, I turn down lots of opportunities that have um, specific requirements for me to, Okay, like if we do this deal, we need X posts and we need, you mm-hmm. know, got to have the reposts and the follows and all this stuff. I flat turn that stuff down because that's not something I 
you know, want to do myself. So I'm certainly not going to ask people who put their faith in me to do on my behalf. So like, that's the way I think about it. So that's not so much about like protecting your brand as much as like, I just don't want to do that. Yeah, it, it really is. Like if I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lose my panic job tomorrow because I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to fire myself. But like if I had to go back to a corporate world, like it's going to be, it would be pretty tough for me just the way I've been able to operate over the past few years, getting to, to make the calls that most people wouldn't make mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. same situation and being okay with that, being okay with trusting your gut, trusting yourself, trusting your mental health. Like I talk about mental health a lot mm-hmm. in lots of different aspects and my mm-hmm. struggles, you know, with like anxiety and things like that. And I've learned over the past 10 or 15 years to be very protective of those things and don't represent something that I'm not because I just wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Like I just wouldn't. So that's why I'm super happy to like talk about other things all the time. Like I'm not like a one track, you know, pickleball is important, Brad. (laughs) Let's not shortchange that. There's a lot of hate (laughs) out there, which I I get that too. So, but no, (laughs) pickleball has been really, really good to me. It's really uh, upped my health level. So that's the best part. So that's awesome. So I wonder, do you have any like stationary rules to live by? (laughs) I I have two that I can come up with right off the top of my head. Number one is I don't post my fountain pens and I'll explain what that means. So I added June is a aghast. Um, so what posting a fountain pen is. So if you take any pen, right, any pen that's not a retractable pen, like a retractable pen has a click pen, any pen with a cap, I don't put the cap on the back of the pen. And the issue with fountain pens in particular is it overweights them to the back. It damages the barrel. There's all or kinds does of... It make it, or does it balance them perfectly? I nah, mean, some would say yes. Some would say... Like, I, I am, uh, I'm not on an island here, but there is a lot of pushback. <laughs> there is a lot of pushback to that statement. But that is one of my personal rules. The other rule, which I didn't realize was such a big deal and I've gotten a lot of pushback on this, is stickers on pens. So a lot of times when you buy a pen, you know, there's a little barcode sticker on it or a fountain pen could have a nib size sticker on them. Mm -hmm. Some people leave those on there, June. And I just (laughs) can't stand for that. that. I can't stand for that. So those are my two rules. Outside of that, I'm pretty like, like I'm not a pen monogamist. Like I use anything, everything. Um, I have preferences, you know, in other things like paper types and styles. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a big line paper fan, but yeah, Yeah. I use line paper. So see, yeah, neither I was going to say, oh, I never use line paper, but I actually do. Yeah. Brad Dowdy, the pen addict, thank you so much for joining us today on Working. I can't thank you enough for having me. Thank you so much, June. I appreciate it. When we come back, June and I will talk about the mysterious art of block scheduling, the appeal of the perfect writing implement, and how to figure out what's the right medium for your message. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, June. I like pens. I even have two fountain pens, Mm. but I am not a pen addict. You, of course, are. I think it's been sort of a running gag on this show, your love (laughs) of pen products and stationery. We, in fact, booked one of our guests, Naylan Blake, because they loved all your stationery stuff and they wanted to talk to you. And then they got stuck with me. You know, what is the difference between a good pen and a great pen? Why would you be obsessed with pens? What about the specific pen? makes them so special. And more importantly, because this is a show about the creative process, can the perfect pen improve your creativity? So I get a kick out of trying out and using all kinds of different pens and papers and styles of notebook. And because I enjoy that process, it's fun for me to play around with writing. And, you know, sometimes that's for work-based creativity, for working on the things that I get paid for doing. But often it's just fun doing creative journaling art projects just writing about my day and I think there are lots of versions of this like in recent years mechanical keyboards have had a similar boom I mean you don't need a special keyboard to use your computer you certainly don't need more than one but if you get a kick out of putting them together and playing with them and you can afford it you know go mad have fun and having equipment you want to use will probably have you writing in your journal or typing into some sort of word processor so In that limited sense, it is or can be a spur to creativity. But yeah, it's mostly just about playing with things that you like, I think. Difference between a good pen and a great pen? Well, sometimes it's about beautiful materials and a particularly pleasing writing experience. My favorite pen is also my most expensive pen. It's an Akaya, which is absolutely gorgeous and writes beautifully. But It's not the pen I use the most by any means. It also has a really juicy broad nib, so it doesn't really suit every kind of paper or every kind of situation. So obviously you need to have a lot of different pens and inks and notebooks for all these different situations. Amazing. You know, I have also been told that I have a juicy broad nib that isn't right for uh, every kind of situation. So I can relate. Um, But enough about my nibs. Back to Brad. It's amazing. He does so many different things. I mean, look, if you break down any job into its workflow, obviously it's made up of lots of other little jobs. But this guy really is doing like 17 different jobs. And each one of them involves, even if they're all about pens or stationery or whatever, switching gears, switching headspaces, which I find really hard to do, actually. You know, we have this podcast, writing a book, doing freelancing, whatever it is. That switching process is really difficult for me. So I am curious about this thing that you guys discussed called block scheduling, which I believe... Uh, my reputation is that I am derisive <laughs> about block scheduling, but actually I just have no frigging clue what block scheduling <laughs> is. So can you enlighten me? Can you drop some science about block scheduling? So I guess there are many different approaches to block scheduling. And I first of all need to say that this extreme version that I'm about to talk about is really only for independent creators who can set their own schedules. Our 
producer Cameron. He's got his shows he has to make every week. He doesn't get to, you know, put in his blocks wherever he wants them. But one of the ways you can do this, which I think is probably like the typical one, is a version of the ideal week that we've talked about in previous episodes, where rather than starting with the things you need to do, you start out with when you want to do stuff. Like if you do your best thinking between 9 and 11 in the morning, you block those hours for writing or filming videos or designing your next product release, whatever is most demanding in a way. And if you are your most social in the middle of the day, maybe schedule your meetings or the slots when you make yourself available for consultation, put them then. If you have a little bit of gas left in the tank at three o'clock, but you are most definitely not at your peak, block off three to four for shipping or admin. So that's the basic idea. I think Brad's approach was slightly different and a bit more task focused. His big blocks are his regular commitments that involve other people. His podcast taping happens on Wednesday mornings. His Twitch stream happens at X o'clock on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. He writes his blog posts or does his pen addict blog stuff in another block. And then once those big blocks are in place, he looks at what other tasks he has to do that week and fits them into the gaps between those big rocks, if you like. And I have to say, since I left my day job at Slate and became an independent creator, which is not really a label that I usually apply to myself, but is, I think, accurate. This is something I've struggled with. When I was the senior managing producer of Slate Podcast, my schedule was very crowded and I had lots of deliverables and meetings. But that busy schedule also provided a kind of clarity. I rarely had to think about when I could get things done because I could see where I had an opening in my schedule. As a freelancer or someone working in their own time, you tend to have looser deliverables. Mm -hmm. And that kind of freedom or openness can be overwhelming. When you can do things anytime, it's often hard to get them done at all. Unless, Isaac, you put them on your schedule. Yeah, I really, I really feel you about that because then you can always just put stuff off the things yeah. you don't want to do or the boring work or whatever. What are the and consequences? Then it just, yeah, there exactly. And the consequences are suddenly you're like, wait, I was supposed to get on a plane next week and I haven't booked plane <laughs> right. tickets or taxes yeah. are due or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, I forgot to write my book. Yeah. Another thing that really struck me is how many different media Brad's working in and even within yeah. those media, how many different forms what we would call work might take like a given project might be right for a Twitch stream or a YouTube video or a blog post or a podcast or something else. You and I, you know, we mostly work in books and podcasts and then we do a little bit of other freelance writing and, but we've both done other things too. You do these beautiful collages and these sort of bespoke books. You know, I used to work in theater, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. How do you know what the right medium is for an idea you have. And and is there any lessons that we or the listeners can really take from Brad on that since he seems to be very good at, at figuring that out? Yeah, this is something I think Brad does really well. He is laser focused on stationary, but he always provides a bit of differentiation depending on the medium. So again, it's a lot of overlap in the content that he's blogging, podcasting, streaming, writing newsletters about but it never looks or sounds quite the same. The blog is mostly classic reviews. This product now exists. What's good about it? What's not so great? And the podcast and the Twitch streams are more of a discussion of the latest stationary news. What new pens and notebooks have been released? What are the stationary people freaking out about? And what do Brad and Mike think about those products and freakouts? And 
it is really remarkable. Quite often, I will have watched Brad streaming on Twitch for several hours in a week, but when I listen to the latest podcast, I don't think I've ever thought, oh yeah, I already, I've already heard this. Because it's different in every iteration. You know, they're just, they're all different. Uh, and it's a different from most independent creators. In most circumstances, when people repurpose their core content, the smart approach is to make different versions of exactly the same material. You write the blog post, you turn the photos, you tick for the blog post into Instagram content. You make a YouTube video that uses the blog post as a script. And for most people, that's smart because most people have a blog audience and a YouTube audience that are quite separate. And as journalists, I suspect that you and I are getting a bit itchy about self-plagiarism when I sort of sketch this model out. But Oh, yeah, definitely. If you are trying to make a living as an independent content creator, I think straight repurposing is what most people should do. Yeah, I'll admit the idea of straight repurposing kind of gives me hives. The idea totally. that you would like take this content to then make, you know, there's there's a sort of version of that, which is, of course, when you have a book coming out, you either serialize part of it or you write these kind of derivative essays that repurpose your research in other ways. But the idea of taking like an actual thing you have made and then just that's now a YouTube video or whatever, that uh, that's a difficult thing for me to accept, to be I completely totally, honest. No, I, absolutely. And yet, okay, so... Let me give a little story from my past. I first experienced this different audience thing back mm -hmm. in 2005 when I made a sleep podcast that was just me reading that day's explainer column. I really didn't have any creative input. I was just reading someone else's work out loud, editing it and uploading it. And I got so much positive feedback about that work, more than I got about my writing, which was honestly really annoying because it was still very early in the podcast cycle and people were super excited to be able to listen to Slate content when mm. they were away from their computers. It didn't matter one bit to them that it was just an audio version of a Slate story because they didn't have time to read the story. Oh, that, that's how it felt to them anyway. So I think, yeah, we, I think rightly, feel mm, just that, that, that it is plagiarism, it's self-plagiarism. Right. But... If people have not read the blog post, they don't know you've done that. You are, in a way, make, you know, you're you're doing the equivalent of tweeting out your story, right? Right, it, right. It, or it's like uh, in the in the summer, one summer, NBC adopted the tagline "It's new to you" for their reruns. That's right. right. It's like if you haven't yeah. seen that Seinfeld episode, it's new. It's to new you. to you, and it's true. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Then you will never miss an episode. Also, little reminder here that if you join Slate Plus, you get ad-free podcasts, extra segments on shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. To learn more, go to slate.com slash working plus. Thank you to Brad Doughty and to our producer, Cameron Drews, who is living proof that it's the brain, not the pen. Cameron manages to do amazing work using those cheap gray ball pens that you buy in bulk from the big box store. We'll be back next week with Nate's conversation with graphic novelist and musician, Dave Chisholm. Until then, get back to work. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... 
the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.